Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Before we go into the main part of the show, I want to let you know about a new online PR course for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs that I'm running. It's called Vegans in the Limelight and it starts in June. That's 2017 if you're listening in the future. And you'll learn how to get free publicity by getting yourself featured in the media on a regular basis. Now, the course is particularly for vegan professionals who can't afford to hire a PR firm or a publicist at the moment. And I'm running it because I see so many vegan business owners, authors and entrepreneurs missing out on golden opportunities to get into the media, either because they're not confident in approaching journalists because they don't have the skills or they're pitching the media the wrong way. So I'm going to share with you the strategies and techniques for how to do your own PR. The course is tailored specifically for vegan business owners. So there'll be downloadable templates, case studies and bite-sized video training. You'll be able to post questions on the learning platform, which I'll personally respond to. And there'll also be three live group calls you can jump on to ask me anything about getting into the media. And I'll give you answers specifically for your business. So you're not going to be left to struggle along on your own with the course. So if you're keen to get your vegan brand in the limelight, head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where there's a link to the course with all the details. And I'll also put the link on the show notes page. And if you type in the coupon code podcast, as you enroll, you'll receive a special early bird rate before the 20th of April. In this episode, I interview Robin Shooter, a naturopath, counsellor and EFT therapist from Empower Total Health in Sydney, Australia. Through her one-on-one consulting and membership program, Empower Ed, Robin specialises in helping people reverse serious and chronic illnesses such as autoimmune conditions, type 2 diabetes, heart disease and chronic fatigue syndrome, as well as emotional eating and food addiction, using a plant-based diet and emotional healing. Her dual background as a physical and mental health professional allows her to not only educate her clients about what to do to be healthy and happy, but also provide them with the ability to do it by getting past their psychological, behavioural and social barriers to change. Robin is currently completing an honours degree in preparation for a PhD in plant-based nutrition research with a focus on behaviour change strategies. Her honours research project is examining the value of membership in a Facebook group for helping people adopt and maintain a plant-based diet. In this interview, Robin discusses the challenges of running a plant-based health practice and the specific approach she takes to handle them, the benefits of running a membership programme to broaden your reach as a service provider, what's involved in setting up and maintaining a membership programme, How she uses Facebook organically without paying anything to raise her profile and gain new clients. 
How she handles the ethical considerations health practitioners need to take into account when interacting with people on social media. The strategies she uses to attract her ideal clients and much more. Here's the interview with Robin Shooter of Empower Total Health. Hello, Robin. Thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure, Katrina. (laughs) So you're a vegan naturopath. And the first thing, as you know, and I know you're a regular listener to the podcast, um, is I ask everyone why they do what they do. So we know what are their drivers? Why, Why are you in this kind of business? What's your why? I suppose you could say it's a really selfish motivation in that I just get such a buzz out of people getting better. It's just a pretty cool reason. I don't know that that's selfish. (laughs) No, it's it's that sort of selfish altruism, you know. They're benefiting, but so am I. I mean, when when someone kind of walks into my office, like maybe it's a couple of weeks after I first saw them or after a couple of months, and they, they sit down in my chair and they tell me, you know, I my ulcerative colitis has cleared up and I no longer have to have surgery to remove my bowel or I'm off all my diabetes medications and my doctor told me I'm not diabetic anymore <laughs> or, um, or you know, my anxiety is so much better I can actually go and socialise again. I, it's just such a buzz to, to, to be, you know, the person who is instrumental in somebody else really getting their life back in that way. So that that's my main why. And I suppose the secondary one is that I didn't enjoy particularly good health myself when I was younger. I, I a lot of people say, oh, you know, enjoy your enjoy your teens and your young adulthood because it's the healthiest you'll ever be. Well, it wasn't for me. I didn't have particularly good energy. I got sick a lot. And it's actually really exciting for me to be getting healthier as I get older. Like I have more, more <laughs> stamina and I'm more robust at 45 than I was at 15 or 25. And, and so I'm just, yeah, that, that's a really exciting thing for me to be able to share with other people. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that you're walking your walk, um, you know, particularly in an area such as health, because it's quite interesting, you know, like uh, I've seen sort of, you know, people like nurses who, you know, are obviously like really unhealthy and and same with doctors and other health professionals. So it's always good, I think, when someone's really, you know, living the, the, not the dream, but I suppose it is a dream in some case, but, you know, really living what they're they're practicing, uh, practicing what they're teaching, I suppose, which is fantastic. Totally, totally. I mean, you know, would, would you go to a beauty therapist? with acne I mean (laughs) like you want to be inspired by the person that that you're seeing and 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 see that okay they they not that they have all the answers but that like you say they're they're walking their talk yeah yeah for sure fantastic now now obviously you you know very much espouse the plant-based methods and you're also an ethical vegan as well so tell us about well tell us about first of all about some of the challenges when you first started up your naturopathy business and then we'll talk a little bit about some of those challenges um as you've gone on as a business Mm, totally I think the, the two major challenges that I faced when I was first starting out were, firstly, I was 23 years old. I mean, I I took a, a year off after high school to save up money for the fees for naturopathic college. And then it was four years full time. And, and then within weeks of graduating, I, you know, opened up my doors and started a practice. So I was just really green and naive. I knew nothing about business. I think in that four-year full-time course we might have done, look, it could have been four, maybe six hours on on business. Wow. <laughs> and so, so there was just no training. And aside from 
you know, my, my boyfriend of the time had an accountant and I remember making an appointment to see the accountant just to get my head around some basic bookkeeping. And apart from that, I just knew nothing about business. And on top of that, I had some uh, really limiting beliefs about business and, and about specifically about making money, um, which I, I think really came from for want of a better word, a working class background, just my my mum and most particularly my dad and their, their beliefs around money and rich people are, you know, insert expletive of choice and <laughs> and all, all that sort of stuff. And so I was really saddled with, with that to the extent that when people talked about me running a business, I really bridled at that. I said, no, I'm running a practice because the word business had this sort of dirty, um, I don't know, like it was just a really uncomfortable word for me. So there was a lot of a lot of internal work that I had to do to overcome those blocks and then just a lot of learning about how to run a business. I love that you've shared that because I can actually really relate to that, not not being a health professional necessarily, but just that whole thing of yeah, being a business owner and, and having those negative mm. associations. So I can really relate to that. And I think a lot of people listening will, will relate to that. Also, people coming from an activist background as well. It's very much, yes. you know, sometimes there's that thing of wealthy people or, you know, have being financially well off somehow. It means you're evil and bad and, and all this kind of thing. And I suppose yeah, the health professionals, I've heard from like some other health professionals that, you know, there's almost like a bit of a guilt of charging people to receive um you know help with their health um it's That's almost exactly kind of like yeah <laughs> yeah it's 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 like oh well health health isn't um health isn't a commodity it shouldn't have a price attached to it but on the the, the flip side of that is that people value their health well they don't value it when they have it of course they value that when they when they lose it yes. and they then realize that without that nothing nothing else in their life has any value I mean they you don't have quality of life without your health so so there's that there's also the fact that um, health professionals in, invest very very heavily in their education in, in, in terms of both time and money in in my case I've spent Ah, oh, look, 12 plus years and thousands of dollars <laughs> in educating myself um, you know, to, to get to the level of proficiency that I'm at. And the way I see it now is, yeah, I do deserve to be compensated for that investment. And that investment makes me a better practitioner. Therefore, I have the right to charge for it. But it took a long time to, to come around to that point of view. Yeah, because I suppose there's that thing of, oh, well, health should be provided free by the state. And I, I, know, I know I've seen this, you know, with other like, people in private practice you know even my partner Tracy you know you get people kind of thinking oh you know they're not being very accessible but you know because you're charging mm. all this money but it's kind of interesting because a lot of them that say oh well I and I'm not suggesting that everybody you know obviously you know people literally you know they can't afford to see a practitioner and whatever but yes. there, are, there are a lot of people that I tend to ring up and I don't know if you get this and they say oh no I can't afford to come I'm just about to go on an overseas holiday so it's not that you can't afford <laughs> it like you just said what are you That's prioritizing right. you just haven't prioritized exactly. your health you're so. going to go on the holiday but have a crap time because you haven't got the energy or you're feeling sick but you know that's exactly yeah. right it's to which I mean not, not that I would say this but what I'm thinking internally is fine look come come back to me when you're sick enough that you really value yeah. your health and then we'll Sure. <laughs> so it's interesting so how did you you said you did some internal work on that and then uh you know to to get over that so so as the time has gone on and how long have you been say for example a plant-based or a vegan naturopath and how did that impact your business 
Mm, so I was already, I, I became an ethical vegetarian at the age of 15, but I have to say I was a very bad vegetarian uh, in, in a couple of senses. First of all, I mean, look, th this was this was the, what, the mid-1980s and we didn't have the internet, you know, we didn't have the availability of all these resources. So I did not adopt a particularly healthy vegetarian diet. I, I kind of, you know, cut out the chicken, the meat and the fish and ate more eggs and cheese. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I did the opposite of what's supposed to happen, right? I gained weight and my skin was terrible and I had no energy, so <laughs> that wasn't great. And and then, of course, as I as I became interested in studying nutrition, I realized where I'd gone wrong. And so I, I came into practice already knowing that I wanted to promote a plant-based diet. And I also knew that people don't always take kindly to the V words, vegetarian and vegan. And so... That that was a that was a challenge from the get go really that here was I wanting to promote really a lifestyle based practice. What I'd been trained in was was the kind of pills and potions mentality where someone comes in with a problem and you prescribe a herb for this and a vitamin supplement for that and a bark flower remedy for something else. I wasn't interested in that style of practice. I really wanted to address people's illnesses at their roots, like what what were the what were the lifestyle habits and the behaviours that, that were driving their illness? Because it made sense to me that if, if their disease or if their condition was lifestyle-related, then the, the only logical way to, to treat it was, was by changing those lifestyle factors that had driven the, the condition in the first place. Not, not to say that I never prescribe you know, herbs or vitamins or whatever. I, I sometimes do for symptom relief, but it's not my, my primary driver. So integrating that focus on, on lifestyle and specifically a plant-based lifestyle was something of a challenge because I began my practice in a, a fairly, I suppose, conservative area of, of Sydney and the uh, that that plant-based message was a hard one to get across to, to many people. And I also, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I wasn't particularly good at, at delivering it at that point. And one of the things I realised after a couple of years in practice was that my counselling communication skills that, that I had learned at naturopathic college just weren't adequate when it came to you know, really helping people to change. Mm. So how do you cope with that challenge of people? Like, cause I know you're very much, you know, you have a lot of vegan clients because you're very mm. proactive in that, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Well, so what about uh -huh. if people come to you and they're not necessarily plant-based or vegan? How do you deal with those challenges that they, you know, maybe come to your practice and then you're, you know, telling them about this plant-based lifestyle, and they, which they may or may not be amenable to initially? Absolutely. So in in... Broadly speaking, I, I've got two groups of clients. I've got the people who are already on plant-based diets who are, who are very interested in, in, in becoming vegan. And so that's easy. I can I can use the V words and, and you know, people are fine with that. And then the other group is people with, with chronic illnesses and they often have absolutely no clue that their diabetes or their high blood pressure or their rheumatoid arthritis or whatever whatever the case may be is linked to their diet. In fact, their doctors have told them that it is not. And so what they're hearing from me is often quite new. And so I just stick to the science and I will actually take them through scientific studies. I've got a massive library of research on my on my hard drive and so I can easily just pull up a study and, and, and walk them through it and say, look, this this is what researchers have found. 
Um, this is my clinical experience. And most of them, when they're presented with the evidence in that way, become open to it. Depending on their personality, there are some who will say, oh, that's a lot of change. And so I'll just take the cut out one animal at a time approach, you know. Right. <laughs> was like, well, could you stop eating dairy products this, 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 uh, you know, after you see me this time? And then when they come back, the next says, all right, well, how about we dump the chicken? <laughs> and so we just do it one animal at a time. In the case of someone who's just really, really, really ill, they are often a lot more open to radical change. And so I'll say to them, look, you know, if you want to save your colon and not not have to have that surgery to remove it, here's what you need to do. And sometimes I'll I'll sort of propose it as, as a as a, a time limited experiment. You know, give this a month and, and and see how you feel because people can wrap their heads around doing most things for a month. And then when they get to the end of that month, they're usually hooked. And so I don't really have to sell them on sticking to this for the rest of their life. They've sold themselves. <laughs> got, it, got it. Fantastic. And that leads nicely, I guess, into my next question, which is about, obviously, you know, you have people come to your practice face to face, but you also do, I think, online and Skype consultations yes, I do. with people. So, and you've also got online course. So you're able to leverage your skills to reach a, broad, reach a broader base of people. What about some of the, I'm curious about some of the challenges there, because I know obviously if someone comes in front of you and they're sitting in front of you, you can kind of physically see see stuff a lot clearer like maybe what their eye, what their eyes look like or what they physically look like uh, whereas if you're doing it online maybe you, you can't quite do that as so much so do you find that a challenge or how do you kind of deal with that I don't particularly find that a challenge in that uh, with with video platforms like Skype or Zoom I can I can see the person face to face now depending what device they're on it might just be their head <laughs> so I don't necessarily get a sense of, of what the rest of them looks like in terms of you know are they overweight and so forth but I have people fill in a very detailed questionnaire before they come and see me and so I've got a, a pretty good sense of what their health issues are and I do ask for people's height and weight so that I can, you know, do a, a BMI calculation, figure out roughly are they in the, white, the right weight range. So even if I can't see their whole body, I still have a sense of things like that. I don't use the sort of, uh, I suppose, typical naturopathic diagnostic techniques like iridology and so forth. I've never found them of any value, to be perfectly honest. And so it's not a limitation to not be able to look in people's eyes or things like that. Okay, okay. Cool. So tell us a bit about how you've managed to, yeah, reach that broader base of people so you, you've got a membership program I think and you do online courses so tell us how that's helped to really kind of I guess grow your business I suppose the the answer to that goes back to my my growing involvement with the vegan community when I first started my practice I didn't have any particular intention to to reach out to people who were already on on plant-based diets uh, I figured the people who needed me were those who had no idea about plant-based diets and needed to be on one for, for their health. Then the, the number of people coming to see me who were already vegetarian or vegan started to increase. And, and I realized that a lot of people were not, like that they'd become vegan for ethical reasons and heck, so had I. But they had not taken the subsequent steps that I had taken to really figure out how to make the diet work for them. And so they were struggling with various health conditions that were very much related to the composition of their plant-based diet. So as I realized there was this whole sort of um, segment of, of people that I could really help and that I really wanted to help too, that increased my involvement with the vegan community. And so 
that then resulted in me doing, you know, a lot of seminars and, and, and lectures and other educational presentations in venues that were, you know, very, very much uh, vegan centric. And then um, also developing uh, uh, online courses. My my main my main course in that regard is is Empower Ed, which is a it's a, a membership program essentially. So people join up as members and they they get a, a monthly uh, group Q and A session. So all of those kind of you know general health and nutrition questions that people don't necessarily want to come and pay to ask me face to face they may not have health problems that are that are severe enough to warrant paying for a one-to-one consultation but they can certainly afford like a really low cost membership option that gives them the opportunity to pick my brains (laughs) about health and nutritional diet fads or you know should i get a mammogram and that sort of thing um so that's that's really enabled me to reach a lot more people who have a, a general interest in health and nutrition but wouldn't necessarily want to engage the, the services of, of someone like me one-to-one. Got it. So how much work is involved in doing that, like putting together a, a member, either a court, an online course or a membership program? I imagine there are people who could do it with not much work and I am not one of them because <laughs> I... <laughs> I, I I'm a nerd girl, and if I I mean for for instance, my my members were really keen for me to do a, a webinar. Aside from the Q and A, by the way, the other the other membership benefit is is a, a monthly really in depth webinar on a particular topic. So you know we've covered things like cancer screening and gluten and sleep and all manner of things and the members were really really keen for me to do it on the gut microbiome which happens to be one of my favorite subjects so this is going to wind up being i don't know i mean many 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 hours of research and and work and um and i love it it's just that i actually have to rein myself in because this this could easily turn into a 50-hour research project to produce a one-hour webinar <laughs> wow, wow. But in a way, I suppose, and I know you and I have had this conversation before, in a way that kind of sets you apart um, and enables you to be trusted by people because they can go on the yes. internet and Dr. Google is so incredibly popular, you know, <laughs> looking at it and particularly the whole, you know, advent of fake news. It's like, well, who do we believe, you know? Uh, totally. Yeah. Well, one of one of my, one of my, I suppose, points of distinction, which which definitely has, has built the, the level of trust that, that I now have in the vegan community is that um, I I reference every statement that I make to the hilt. So when I present a webinar, there's a slide presentation which members can download later on, and it's it's referenced. So they can they can go and follow up the scientific studies, and I actually teach them how to read studies. That that's part of what what my aims were in the membership program as well, because of this whole phenomenon of of the internet and the fake news and and these ludicrous blogs written by people with frankly no qualifications, no clinical experience, just spouting absolute nonsense, and you know, I want to, one of my aims with membership program is to teach people how to see through that rubbish and how to make much more informed decisions about their nutrition and about their health care. Yeah, now that's good to know because obviously now you've sort of touched on this a little bit then I guess around the, the concept of competition. Um, obviously mm. there are now more vegan and plant-based naturopaths. You've also got nutritionists and dietitians, also health coaches. So I know you've touched on I guess you, how you go about standing out both within the vegan business arena and outside of it and maintaining the steady flow of customers and clientele. Mm. Yes. Yeah. 
I've been in practice for a really long time. I mean, it's 22 years. And so that experience by itself tends to kind of help me stand out. And then my my really heavily science-based approach uh, attracts, I suppose, a certain type of person who is, I mean, look, I attract better educated people and people who who are not going to sort of roll with the latest fad. And as a result, they, they tend to have a higher degree of commitment to lifestyle change. So that, that helps me get greater success, which means more referrals, more work. Mm, got it. Got because it, people, yeah. when people are getting great results, they tell every man and his dog, you know, I went to see this, this person and she, you know, explained what was happening and no one else had ever done that. She put me on this program and it really worked. And, you know, I was blind and now I see. So <laughs> I get that, that level of, of I mean, frequently, um, uh, frequently I will get some Facebook notification or other that someone's tagged me in a, in a, in a discussion on, you know, on a Facebook group, say a vegan group. And, uh, you know, persons ask for health advice and, and lots of, you know, well-meaning but usually uneducated people have thrown their hat into the ring. And then someone will tag me to kind of draw me into the discussion so that I can um, clear up some of the misconceptions <laughs> and get some facts injected into the discussion. Which is great. Well, let, let's talk about because that was going to be something I wanted to ask you about is that whole thing about as a health professional being on social mm-hmm. media. Um, yes. You know, how does that kind of work in terms of, I guess, what you're legally allowed to um, say, you know, particularly if you're advising one one particular person you know if they're not necessarily your client or there may be legal ramifications about that and I because I know I've seen in Facebook groups I've seen people tag you and say hey Robin what do you think about this so I'm curious how how does that sort of work for you as a health professional how does it help in terms of raising your brand awareness and getting clients or leads and sales but also yeah kind of what the uh, anything you need to take into account regarding the ethics of engaging like that. Oh, absolutely. So I'll deal with the ethical issue first because it's really important. You just you can't give advice to someone in a Facebook group, and and frequently when someone's asking you a question about a health related matter in a Facebook group, I feel like telling them exactly that. You know, this is not the right forum for you to be getting advice because all these people who are making suggestions they don't know you, they haven't taken a case history, they haven't run blood tests on you, so. All of their suggestions are, and again, I mean, people come from a from a really good place when they're doing this, but but their suggestions are, are frequently completely inappropriate. So, my my usual approach with when I'm drawn into a discussion like this is is to is to just ask further questions for clarification, and then either refer them, you know, suggest that that they undergo some testing, or or refer them to a, a particular resource that that it's reliable. And or, or, or you know suggest other other avenues um, for investigating their their symptoms because I mean frequently it's going to be something like I'm really tired <laughs> can anyone make suggestions yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, suggesting that someone go on iron or B12 or whatever is 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 again completely inappropriate if you don't know that person's status with yeah. regard to that particular nutrient so I'll you know I'll usually propose some testing or something like that if they show interest. And want to engage more? I usually just say PM me, and we'll and we'll chat. So. And then when you chat, you're trying. Obviously, the aim is to get them to book into a session with you. Yeah. Look, I mean, 
I suppose that's the ultimate aim. It's not it's not necessarily what's in their best interest. Sometimes these these people really don't have the financial resources and, and so what I'm aiming to do is is just direct them somewhere reliable where that where they can get help that's within their budget. But yes, it does frequently result in, in a client. And to be honest, what often happens is that someone who, who wasn't the original poster but has been following the discussion, will then message me privately and say, hey, I read your response to so-and-so. Do you think you could help me? Nice. <laughs> so, cool. So I end up with perhaps not, not, not getting the original poster as a client but someone else sort of reads my responses and says, wow, she sounds like she, know, she knows what she's talking about. I, I think I'll get in touch and try to sort out my own stuff. Fantastic. <laughs> so Facebook, it sounds like, has been quite a good marketing tool for you, I guess. Facebook? has been amazing for me and I, I was not an early adopter of Facebook. One of my friends virtually twisted my arm. She practically, you know, she came over to my house and, and, and she, she wrote my profile for me because she said, you know, I want, to, um, I want to promote you to my friends but they're all on Facebook and you're not so I need you to get on Facebook. <laughs> uh, and I noticed what you've said, like you, you get tagged personally, like in your personal yes. profile. So it sounds like you've had quite a good success with organic Facebook as opposed to say doing paid Facebook ads from a business I haven't page. yet done any paid Facebook ads. It's something that I'd like to explore, but I, I've, I've not done it up to this point. Um, Facebook is is quite a, a lead generation machine for me without me spending a cent. Lovely. It's great to hear that because I think a lot of um, – business owners are kind of like oh my god you know if I think the organic reach is really all but I think for and it may not work necessarily for every single business owner but I think for let's say experts such as yourself um, you know where you can you know join these groups that are very targeted like for example you know vegan groups or you know plant-based mm. nutrition groups where you can you know just put a few sentences here or link to a study and just you know show that and demonstrate your expertise and that takes work and it takes time but that can actually work in a really w- good way organically with without, as you say, having to spend ads on Facebook. So that's good to hear that. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about marketing because I know you also use webinars. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about why you use them and why and how they're useful for you in generating lead sales or customers? Yes. So the webinars are, are part of my membership program and I offer a a free month membership in which people have the opportunity to join in the live events and also they can check out the recorded ones. The webinar format is is really great because it gives people that that sense of, of, of live interaction and also, because I'm now using Zoom, which enables people to, you know, see who else is is on the call, it facilitates that that sense of community, which is really what I'm wanting to build as part of my membership program as well. Because people, you know, when people adopt lifestyle behaviours that are somewhat different to the norm, like going vegan, it, it can challenge your existing relationships, and people often, you know, feel the the need to to you know establish a new community. Of, of, of people who are on their wavelength. So the webinar format's really, really good for that. And it's just, it, the immediacy of it as well, the fact that um, people can either, you know, ask questions through the chat box or I can actually unmute them and they can come on the call live and get their questions answered. They, my, my members really, really seem to enjoy that. And I, I get, you know, I get people, the same people sort of showing up to the live events every 
you know, twice a month. They're, they're always there and, and they, they just love it. So what I'm hearing is you're using the webinars more for once people have already signed up for your course or your membership program rather than as, say, a lead generator, you know, where someone does a free I webinar have, and then up. Yes. I have used used the, the free webinar as as a uh, as an enrollment tool in the past, and I, I will probably do that again. Although I I'm inclined to to try out the Facebook Live um, um, perhaps as a instead of that, just to give people a taste of, of what it's like to to be on one of those live calls and to be able to interact. Mm. But yes, I, I definitely have found that using the the free webinar as a way to you know lead into uh, selling a, a course or an online program or something like that. That's definitely very effective. Okay, so you've had success with doing that. Yes. Mm, cool, cool. Okay, fantastic. Now, we touched on a little, this a little bit earlier about the use of the word vegan in your branding and marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a, and I know, and, you know, everybody has different answers to this. And, I, and particularly, I think in the health professionals arena as well, I get such very, very different answers. Um, talk to us a little bit about how much or the prominence of the use of the word vegan you use or don't use, say, on your website or in your marketing and your branding. On my website, the word vegan is barely mentioned. I think on, on my on my about me page, I have my my little my little badge of where I won vegan professional of the year, and and uh, there's there's a few mentions of it sprinkled throughout the website, but I really don't use that terminology at all because because of, of this major aspect of my work, which is um, helping people with, with chronic health conditions. And that that vegan word can be off-putting to these people. I mean, for starters, people with chronic diseases tend to be an older age group. So these are, you know, 50s plus, and they're not necessarily open to the idea of veganism, particularly ethical veganism. They don't really understand that at all. So what's happened, though, is that within the vegan community, I'm just known as a vegan naturopath, so it doesn't seem to bother anyone from that community that I don't use the word vegan on my website. They just already know that I am. Yeah, (laughs) got it, got it. What about the SEO terms? Because I know with another health professional in the US I spoke to, you know, took a similar approach to you, you know, didn't really, you know, go hard on the vegan element, but did slip it into a point where if someone typed in vegan naturopath or vegan, it was hers was different. I think it was vegan acupuncturist or whatever, then Mm. her website would come up. That is a very good question, and I must say that I haven't paid much attention to, to SEO. <laughs> so, but but uh, I always ask new clients the when they come in, and how did you find out about me? And frequently they'll say, oh, I just googled plant based or vegan naturopath, and you came up. So, whether whether that's um, hits through my website, whether that's there's there's just there's a lot of, of my talks online. And so whether they're coming across me through that, I honestly don't know. And I should probably get someone to look into that for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, are all your leads organic then, right? Like do you use, because you mentioned you don't use Facebook advertising. What about things like Google AdWords? I had a, an unsuccessful foray into Google AdWords fairly early on in the piece. Uh, that did not seem to, to generate anything. To be honest, I'm not doing any paid advertising at the moment. Wow. 
it's it's all it's all word of mouth organic yeah. word of mouth that's great no i'm really good to hear that because i think that's really um you know i think as well particularly because i know how hard you work and like you've said you know you reference like you know crazy and um uh, you know you really kind of put a lot of work into whether you're doing a talk or you're writing an article because i know you write a monthly or you contribute to the um sydney vegan uh, club newsletter and you know yes. even, even your articles there you know always contain a lot of information and then there's a link for people to join your membership program to get even more so you've really gone out of your way to demonstrate your expertise by you know being generous in what you share and taking that science-based approach so I think that's really good for people to hear that you know you don't necessarily always have to throw a bunch of money at, at promotion or, or advertising but you know by it takes time and energy to establish yourself as the expert but when you yeah, do, yes it yes it does it really pays it off. does <laughs> and I mean I think when you're first starting out you're going to need to do paid advertising or, or some other some other form of marketing to get the word out there. But yes, I have a I write a weekly newsletter. I have a subscriber list of of oh, I think it's about five and a half thousand now. And so that's and they're they're people from all over the world. So it's pretty widely distributed. And then of course I I post all the articles that I write on Facebook and on Twitter so that I just, you know, magnify the, the reach of – because, I mean, it can take me all day to write one article. <laughs> I always we, – we chatted about this a couple of weeks ago. I always intend to – you know, I get up every, every morning um, on, on a Thursday, which is my, my newsletter day, and say, right, I'm going to knock this over in two hours. And then I find myself still at it, you know, <laughs> six hours later because I've – I've, I've, I've gone down the rabbit hole like Alice, you know, I, I found some fascinating study and, and, and that led to something else, it led to something else and then I sort of snap out of it around two o'clock and say, no, I've really got to wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that shows, you know, it shows that when you read an article by you or one of your talks, you know it's not something you've just thrown together in 10 minutes, you know, whereas no, you know, it's, 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 it's sort of, of five top tips for whatever that, that you're going to see on, on some frankly low-value blog. No, I really I really aim to to deliver content that makes a difference and, and that helps people understand and that, and that also that helps them change when they need to got it got it so how long has your membership program been running and like do you have a set amount of people like that you want or you aim to enroll mm, the program I, I launched only last year actually about February last year and my um Really, I mean, I would, I would like to, I would like to have as many people as I can in it. I'm, I'm in a, a fairly active building process at the moment where I'm promoting it pretty heavily. And honestly, I mean, if I ended up with five or ten thousand people in it, that'd be fantastic. And would then enable me to because you know although it's a low cost program when you start getting to numbers like that that's that's a, a really good residual income of course, which would yeah. then enable me to you know if needs be to cut back on my on my one-to-one -one consulting which I'm going to need to do in order to complete my PhD so that's that's the that's the sort of long-term and I'm 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 in the final year of honours right now, which um, is pretty demanding, and that's that's led to me having to cut back on my one-to-one my -one consulting just so I can free up time. Oh, and 
if I if I've got you know a big residual income from the membership program, then that enables me to be just really really choosy with the clients that I see one to one, and and spend more time on the membership program. And ultimately, the membership program is of benefit to my my one to one clients as well because they they can access that program and at very little additional cost above and beyond seeing me they can go into the members site and get all sorts of questions and so rather than paying you know the hourly fee to come and see me and asking all these you know random questions about the blood type diet or you know should I have a bone mineral density or whatever all of that information is is provided in the members program what about if people so need help on their own diet though like for example like you know like do you do like um like oh, what's the word I'm looking for like diet plans for people or do you just absolutely you yes do? so but that wouldn't be something that they would yes. have in a membership program necessarily because you wouldn't be able to do that I have time. some general yeah I, I have some general information on on meal planning and and uh you know how to set up your kitchen and how to batch cook and that sort of thing but okay. for one-to-one planning for someone who's very specific requirements no that that would that would be an individual consultation got it now with the membership program any tips on the kind of software that you you want to use because i know and i've been sort of researching that myself and there's all different kinds of things and everything from like plugins for wordpress to you know full-on separate pieces of software so can you share with us um what you use if you feel comfortable with that or Mm. anything that you might recommend absolutely yeah i've um, I use Entreport as a complete CRM, so that enables me to send newsletters, uh, to to tag um, individual people with. For instance, you know, when someone comes to see me as a naturopathic client, I can tag them as a naturopathic client. So I can then segment out a group of of people who've been to see me as clients, and then send just that group a particular email, or I can segment a, a group that a group of people who've for example done a, a live cooking course that I've run and that then enables me to, to target them specifically you know if there's something that I think would be of interest to that group the entreport also has a, a membership function so that just kind of sits on, on the back end of WordPress and it enables me to have within my website a um, a protected area of content for for my members. Oh, cool. Okay. So, in order for them to access that, they just need to you know log into the members area. So it means that I've everything is just within this one stable of my website. I I used to have multiple websites, and it's just such a management um, headache that the idea of being able to roll it all into one and and just only have one website to to manage was really appealing to me. Fantastic. No, it's good to know because I said... So Entreport also... Yeah, Entreport also is integrated with Stripe, which is my credit card um, processing system. So all of the membership renewals and so forth are just handled automatically. Cool. No, thank you. Thanks for sharing that. That's great. So we're kind of get a couple of last questions now to wrap up. Let's talk a little bit, and we touched on this a little bit again, um, around, you know, owning and running a business or a practice, however you want to term it. Um, obviously, you know. Running... Look, I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable with the term business now. <laughs> I'm, I'm just for anyone who's, it's who's not, not a dirty quite place. there yet. But, you know, so there are maybe a solo <laughs> practitioner such as yourself, um, and they're maybe just starting out. Um, what advice would you give them? What do they need to take into account? 
in terms of the when practicality. First, yeah, when they're first, so, you know, yeah. they've just finished doing their, you know, qualifications in anything, and it may not even be, you know, in, in health, but, you know, in any topic, mm. and they're, you know, they're ready to launch I, their I would, business. Yeah, totally. Look, I would highly recommend if, you're, if your initial qualification, whether that be in health or whatever it is, if that didn't include a, a decent amount of business training, I would really recommend doing some, doing a, a, a TAFE small business course or something like that just to get your head around everything to do with, with running a business, whether that's, you know, ST registration and tax law, whether that's uh, things that apply to, to hiring staff, um, having a business plan, which I, I did not have a business plan at all when I started. <laughs> I, honestly, honestly, I'm so embarrassed. I mean, I really cringe at, 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 at how how naive I was when I first set up. And I mean, it all worked out in the end. But boy, there were there were some nail biting moments along the way. So yeah, learn from my mistakes. Go go and get some proper business training. That other element of of really exploring your beliefs of, about money and uh, and about business. That's so important. I one of the one of the tools that I picked up along the way, which I use with probably ninety percent of my clients, is is EFT or emotional freedom technique, and that's what I used on myself to to really get down to the roots of my limiting beliefs around money and 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 get myself comfortable with you know with charging what I'm worth. So. The, the the two things that I think are most important then are the, the practical business skills and then dealing with the, the mindset issues, dealing with those beliefs that, that might just really hamstring you from um, yeah. from from succeeding in business and making a difference with what you do because that's that that's a really sad thing when a person has ability, when they have the motivation and the passion for what they do, but their limiting money beliefs hold them back. Then everyone suffers, not just them. That's a good they point. suffer because they're not making a living, and then all the people that they could help are not going to be helped because they'll be out of business in a couple of years. Exactly, exactly. Have you used any professional? I know you mentioned an accountant. Have you used any other like professionals to help you grow your business, whether you know marketing or business coaching or you know any kind of ex. Yeah, I actually, um, yes, I, I totally did. I hired a business coach, let me say, the year before last, and she was really, really helpful in kind of smashing through the through some of those remaining um, mindset barriers. And then, largely as a result of working with her, I ended up hiring a, a VA, which which was a great decision for me. I'm very simply competent and so I can I can master and I have mastered all all sorts of software and you know I find my way through the back end of Entreport which is a fairly kind of uh, complicated and cumbersome system I can do pretty much anything in Entreport but it's not the best use of my time mm. and nor is, is just all the all the little things like, you know, scheduling my social media posts on Buffer and whatever, uh, and even formatting my newsletter. Um, I, I have to write the thing. I can't hire anyone else to do that. But when it comes to formatting the, the newsletter and, you know, pulling um, paragraphs from my articles into the newsletter format and all the rest of it, no, my, my VA does that because that's her area of, of, of joy and it isn't mine. Yeah. 
yeah no that makes good sense good sense you've got to know when to delegate and like you say you yeah you know you're the expert in what you do and even if you can do certain technical tasks like you say it's not always yeah I I can and it was very hard for me to let that go because I'm also a perfectionist and (laughs) I hate anything going out into the world that has mistakes in it and and not not to say that I never make mistakes but but when someone sends something out on my behalf and it's got mistakes I really hate that yeah yeah for sure, <laughs> so for sure. It, it was hard for me to sort of surrender that control but but ultimately it, it just works a whole lot better because I, I freed up more of my time to do the things that I'm really best at which is the researching and the writing and the um and, and also just upskilling myself so that I'm always getting better at what I do sure for sure so tell us then look I guess the final question to wrap up what's your long-term vision for yourself and your brand mm, I I love what I do and I never want to retire so I still want to be seeing clients and and writing and and also researching in the area of plant-based nutrition I don't know until I'm 80 90 100 why stop there <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess I mean um I, I also I I really want to, and I intend to play a, a, a key role in the popular acceptance of the healthfulness of plant-based diets and really you know, plant-based nutrition being a major part of the solution to the healthcare crisis that we're in and, and, and every every developed country is in and, frankly, most developing countries are either in or are heading for. So I, I, just, I want to be at the forefront of that movement to get plant-based eating on the map, you know, for, from, from a health point of view. Fantastic. We are certainly well on the way there and already contributing some uh, fantastic stuff. So you've shared some great information, Robin. It's been wonderful um, chatting with you on the show. Thank you very much for joining me. It has been a pleasure. I've, I've enjoyed talking to you. So that was Robin Shooter from Empower Total Health. You can find out more at empowertotalhealth.com.au. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 66. Now for our vegan business news roundup. More than half of British people don't need meat to be part of their breakfast, dinner or lunch, according to new research by YouGov, reports the grocer. The poll of 1,019 adults found that 56% didn't believe that meat was necessary in a meal, while only 18% believed the opposite. While 33% cited health and 29% the increased costs as reasons for eating less meat, environmental concerns were particularly prevalent in younger people. Half of 16 to 24-year-olds said that they would consume less meat to protect the planet and the overall number has increased from 28% in 2015 to 34%. YouGov researcher Nazra Ahachic said increasing numbers could shift from having cuts of meat on their shopping lists to cutting meat from their shopping lists. Excellent! That's what we want, and it's good news for vegan food producers to be aware of these trends and market their products accordingly. 
The equity crowdfunding branch of Indiegogo encouraged people to get on board with the future of fast food recently by investing in San Diego-based vegan eatery Plant Power Fast Food. According to Veg News, the restaurant recently raised more than $100,000 from 163 investors through the new platform, which is a partnership between Indiegogo and equity crowdfunding website MicroVentures. Instead of the typical crowdfunding model where a business provides rewards in return for a donation, the business raises capital by providing people with equity. Plant Power Fast Food used the new platform to raise funds to open a second location set to open this May, and that's 2017 if you're listening in the future, after the successful launch of its flagship drive through vegan eatery in the Ocean Beach neighbourhood in January 2016. On its profile on the Indiegogo platform, it identified a growing opportunity in the fast food sector for plant-based foods. So these kinds of equity crowdfunding platforms are relatively new and they can be a way for vegan businesses to raise funds from people who may be resistant to simply donating money in a traditional crowdfunding model. So this new model offers a potential win-win. It started out as a film. Then came a magazine, diet plan, books and meal planning tools. Now, vegan media empire Forks Over Knives has launched its first food line in the form of grain kits. The one-pound box kits come in three flavours, Mexican rice and beans, Moroccan quinoa pilaf and Indian rice and dal, and are free from added oils, gluten and soy. Available exclusively as a variety pack from the Forks Over Knives website, they're delivered directly to consumers in the US. So what's interesting about this is how a creative project, in this case a film, can be used as a springboard to create a brand that branches out into other areas to bring in additional streams of income. So perhaps have a think about how you can do something like this in your own business. Is there a way to add extra products or services that are aligned with your brand? Finally, the world's largest vegan store has opened in Melbourne, Australia. My lovely friend and vegan entrepreneur Jessica Bailey, who I interviewed in episode 39 of this podcast and in my book Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, has outgrown the existing space at the Melbourne branch of her cruelty-free shop and moved to a much larger premises around the corner in Fitzroy. The store, which is apparently larger than even the Vigance chain of stores in Europe, opened this week with a massive range of more than 3,500 vegan products, including a 1,000 new items. More than 50 vegan cheeses are available, alongside fresh produce, baked goods, packaged products from across the globe as well as local ones, clothes, skincare products, cosmetics, pet food and treats, and household items. I'm so happy that this is happening. Jess is a fabulous, hardworking and passionate animal activist who set up the Cruelty Free Shop back in 2001 as an online-only store from her home. She opened the first physical store in Sydney in 2012, followed by Melbourne in 2014, and more recently, Brisbane and Canberra. 
Now, I often pop into the Sydney store to pick up things I can't find anywhere else. And I love that Jess uses the stores as a form of activism. She not only provides vegans with easy access to products, but also shows non-vegans they don't have to give up their favourite foods, fashion or other items. She also uses the storefronts to raise awareness for various animal rights campaigns. And as I mentioned, you can find out more about her story and her strategies for success in episode 39 of this podcast. Great to see this ethical vegan business continue to grow. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.